We'd like to welcome you to our current event in weekly Bible study for August 29, 2010. And today we've got a really big study. I was up until about 4 in the morning last night getting this all together. It's actually 34 pages in a PDF format, so it's a lot of material to cover. I don't know how far I'm going to get, if I can get it all into, you know, hopefully three studies, I'm hoping. Um, But it's so much information that I'm just going to go ahead and start with the information, because if I read the table of contents, it'd probably take me about five minutes just to do that alone. So let's go ahead and uh, get into the study. And again, we're going to interject a lot of Bible in along the way as well. Um, First, the title title of the first study, the first article, is Obama White House with the Middle Eastern Flavor. And I got this off Steve, Steve Quayle's site. It's a picture of Obama behind his podium there in the White House, and uh, it looks like literally a Muslim backdrop now, the way that he's got it set up. It looks very, very Middle Eastern, Islamic, Muslim type of backdrop in the White House. Now, let's go ahead and read this. For a long time, we've noticed that the decor at the White House has changed ever since Barack Hussein Obama moved in. The Oval Office is now stripped of the traditional red, white, and blue and replaced with Middle Eastern wallpaper, drapes, and decor. The hallway that he walks out to talk to the press now has a Middle Eastern chairs, drapes. And the thing that has bothered me the most is the bright yellow drape behind him every time he speaks at the White House. It actually has Arabic symbols on it and has been there from the very beginning. That bright yellow curtain is highly visible. But as you scroll down, you will see what is predominantly absent. Also, as you look at the pictures of the other presidents speaking from the same spot, look at the traditional American background and the decor as opposed to the new decor. Trust me when I say that this is intentional. It should alarm every American. What is missing at the Barack Hussein Obama press conference? No, it's not the teleprompters. That's right, there are no American flags whatsoever. It is impossible to think that this is just accidental. Staff and past history show protocol. It is intentional. So I ask, why is it intentional? He told you he would change America, didn't he? This man, who re- whoever he really is, is not an American. He and his ilk want to end the American free enterprise system for good. Well, I've, I've reported on this ever since before he got in office. He's a Muslim. I don't care what anybody says regarding calling him a Christian. Uh, you know, The Bible says, by their fruits you shall know them. And he was born and raised a Muslim. And he is still a Muslim. He's just more of what we would call a closet Muslim. Barack Hussein Obama is a lot of different things. You could call him a communist, a socialist, a Marxist, a Muslim. He is a pseudo, wolf in sheep's clothing Christian at best. So let's go further. Uh, This is the next article. This is from American Family Association. And I give you... Um, In the PDF, you'll see the actual picture, so you can look at that. Okay, we took a little break to show everybody that picture. And uh, I know he won't wear the flag lapel pin either. And and, um, uh, so, you know, he's just showing his true colors is is really all that's really happening. Actions speak louder than words, and his are speaking loud and clear. This next article from American Family Association, uh, Obama gives your tax dollars to rebuild Muslim mosques around the world. While millions of Americans struggle to keep their homes and jobs, President Barack Obama can't give your tax dollars away fast enough. 
the goodwill tour of the Middle East by the imam behind the proposed mosque near Ground Zero is just part of the U.S. government's outreach to the Muslim world. Now, we talked about that last week, where he's got, um, I believe it's like a, a $16,000, um, uh, we're footing that bill, and we're going to talk about that more, for the imam who wants to build the mosque at Ground Zero. We're paying for that trip, okay? So, let's look at this now. According to the Associated Press... The Obama administration will give away nearly $6 million of American tax dollars to restore 63 historic and cultural sites, including Islamic mosques and minarets, here in, in 55 different nations. To see the State Department document, I give you the link right there. You can go look at it for yourself. This is an outrage. Our country is broke, and you, and you can imagine what the ACLU and others on the secular left would say if these monies had been spent to repair Christian churches. They would be screaming separation of church and state, funding Islam on foreign soil with American taxpayer money, but that's not a problem. The latest taxpayer giveaway includes $76,000 for a 16th century mosque in China, 67000 for a mosque in Pakistan, 77000 to restore minarets, um, in Nigeria and Marantia, and 50000 for an Islamic monument in India. Well, he's just trying to spread his religion around the world. That's all he's doing. He's just putting his money where his mouth is. Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton says the U.S. program to restore Islamic and other cultural sites in other countries is taxpayer money well spent. Thank you, Hillary. I mean, I'm sorry, Hillary. We're so glad that, that we got your opinion on that. Uh, I think it's pretty one-sided, but now I'll give you a link here. Contact your member of Congress today. Ask the representative to immediately condemn this waste of taxpayer dollars and begin an investigation into why the American taxpayers are footing the bill to rebuild Islamic mosques overseas. Well, they should really be doing the same thing over the imam that they're sending in the Middle East right now on this goodwill tour who wants to build the mosque at ground zero. Uh, now, I'm going to give you a lot of proactive links that you can you can click on or go to i'm also you know it's not all negative either there is some positive things to report actually several positive things we're going to be reporting on in this study uh next article muslim prayers are welcomed at the pentagon chapel less than 100 feet from where the hijacked airplane slammed into the pentagon now i understand there's a lot of like i said if you want to know the truth about 9-11 Go up on the internet and key in loose change, 9-11, or final cut. And that is probably the best, most succinct thing I can point you to regarding 9-11. There's a lot more evidence on that as well. But that's if you just want one thing to look at, that's a very good thing to go to. Anyway, less than 100 feet from where the hijacked airplane slammed into the Pentagon, Muslim military personnel bring prayer rugs on weekday afternoons for a group worship. On Fridays, a local imam conducts a service in the Pentagon Memorial Chapel built after the September 11, 2001 attacks that killed 184 people at this U.S. military headquarters. It's kind of weird. These Muslims, it's like they're trying to get as close as possible to where these disasters occurred that they did take credit for. Now, again, there's a whole other story to to 9-11. I mean, if we're to believe that, you know, what is it, like 11 guys, was, 11 guys with box cutters hijacked these planes and with precision flew them in all these buildings with pinpoint precision, um, 
there's a lot more to that story, okay? And again, that's why I said reference that thing on YouTube, the uh, loose change. But the fact is, is they did take credit for this. Radical Islam did take credit for this. And now it's like they're trying to get back to their scene of the crime and get as close to it as possible. Almost like they're trying to throw it in our face as much as they can possibly throw it in Americans' face that, you know, we've literally been taken over, defeated. I mean, this should get you fired up. I mean, like I've said before, if this doesn't get you fired up, your wood's wet. So anyway, uh, next article. Guess what Obama signed you up to pay for? Ground Zero Imam's Mideast tour is $16,000 for U.S. taxpayers. Imam Faisal Abdul Rauf will get a daily $200 day honorarium for his 15-day tour to Bahrain, Qatar, and the United Arab Emirates, funded by the U.S. taxpayers. Airfare is included, as well as a standard federal government per diem for expenses and lodging in each of the cities he has visited. Evidently, this adds up to like sixteen grand. The Imam starts his tour on Thursday, I guess it was last Thursday, in Bahrain, and ends it in the United Arab Emirates on September 2nd. At each stop, he is expected to discuss Muslim life in America and promote religious tolerance. Yeah, Muslims really have a lot of religious tolerance. You just go to their Quran and see how much religious tolerance that they advocate. You know, where it says to kill and slay the infidels. Anybody, and what's an infidel? Anybody who's a non-believer in Islam. That we're, they're supposed to slay the Christians and the Jews and all these other things. You see them marching in the streets in, in, in Europe and stuff and they got their signs up. Kill all those who, who mock Allah, butcher them, who, who, um, you know, I've got a whole, uh, word document where I've got all this laid out with all the pictures and all of the documentation um, that a lot of times people ask me for and I send to them via email. So, you know, it's all there. It's the most hypocritical religion, I believe, on the planet as far as what they say one day and what they do on the next. It's just unbelievable what they've been able to get away with. But when you've got a Muslim as our president, you know he's going to cover for them. You know he's going to promote them. Let's go further. Obama, here's the next article. Obama says, I have no regrets about supporting construction of the New York Mosque at Ground Zero. U.S. President Obama said Wednesday he had, quote, no regrets about defending the right of the Muslims to build a mosque near the New York site of September 11, 2001. The answer is, or his answer was specifically, the answer is no regrets, end of quote. The president told NBC Television on the sidelines to a visit to a middle-class family aimed at highlighting his efforts to revive the sputtering U.S. economy ahead of November congressional elections. So he's not, at first he backtracked a little bit, but now he's actually owning what he said. He says, hey, I've got no regrets. Well, he's a Muslim. Of course he doesn't have any regrets. Next article. Sick 9-11 responders slam Obama. We're dying while you worry about spreading Islam and building mosques. That's the name of the article. Alien 9-11 responders, these are the people that like, the firemen and, and the paramedics and these types of people, the cleanup crews, the alien 9-11 responders slammed President Obama on Tuesday for sounding off on the Ground Zero Mosque while keeping silent on a $7.2 billion health care bill. They say, quote, why have you failed us? We thought you would be our champion. Oh, my word. Uh, that, that I can't comprehend, but that's what they said. We thought you'd be our champion to Obama. And then, this is in regard to, in pushing the legislation, John Field wrote to Obama, uh, 
and then it says one of the thousands who worked at the pile, which which I guess is the way that they refer to the ruins of of the twin twin uh, trade center towers. Uh, one of the thousands who worked at the pile after the World Trade Center attacks. Feel heads the Feel Good Foundation. Supporting the responders, the plight of the Ground Zero heroes still suffering and dying from illnesses brought on by the toxic cloud over the Twin Tower ruins has taken a back seat to the political posturing over the mosque. Field says it is disturbing to Obama. He says it is, it is disturbing that you have the time and the energy to speak in favor of the mosque, but not the health crisis caused by the attacks. These people are either totally sick or dropping dead. Anybody that worked in or around that area after the 9-11 attacks because um, there was a lot of toxic substances in the ruins. Uh, also, there is 100% um, there was 100% correlation between what they call thermite which is the actual control, which is the, uh, when you see a controlled de- demolition done, which is what the Twin Towers were, it was obviously a controlled definite uh, demolition. You just don't run a plane into a building, and it just doesn't fall into its own footprint perfectly like that. That was a controlled demolition. You can even watch the videos of the explosions occurring on the floors as it was coming down. I mean, the buildings were rigged and wired prior to them being hit. It's not even a point of debate. Just go up there and look at the videos that got online. Well, what does that? It's a, it's a stuff called thermite. And thermite has been um, also very, very toxic to breathe, but it's been found in the ruins, and it's one of the reasons that people got sick. Just one of the many little things. Now, I could probably do a 10-hour study on 9-11, but so many other people have done such a better job than me at it that it's pointless, okay? But if you do the research, it's, it's all there. Uh, let's see here. So the guy says it's disturbing that you have the time and energy to speak in favor of the mosque, but not on the health crisis caused by the attack, said Feel, who lost part of a foot when a steel beam fell on him during cleanup work. So again, just, just part of Obama's, um, you know, outreach to America. Actually, it seems like his only really real outreach is to illegal aliens and to, and to terrorists and Muslims. That's the only people Obama really seems like he's really wanting to defend. Is kind of the way it looks to me. Here's another article. Islamic expert Mr. Hamad says Muslims will view the construction of a mosque near Ground Zero as a triumph over America. This um, Mr. Hamad also declares that if the mosque is built, it could prove to be the spark that begins a war between the civilizations. Meaning, we're going to empower Islam in the Muslims. Regarding their, uh, they want to make jihad, holy war. That's what the Quran tells them to do. Jihad means holy war. Well, they're commanded in the Quran to make jihad against the infidels and the unbelievers. Their goal, according to Islam, is total world domination. Because of everything that is being permitted to happen, uh, the advocation of the of the mosque at Ground Zero, this. Pentagon prayer chapel. So many things that we go over on a week-to-week basis, increasingly talking about Islam more and more and more. Because of all this, it's empowering Islam. They're feeling like, wow, look at these stupid, idiotic Americans. They're letting us do this. They're so stupid. They're ready to be conquered. They're ready. They're they're ripe for this. It's, It's the way that America looks to them. Okay. Now, I understand the Lord Jesus Christ is in control. Okay, I'm just saying this is the way it looks to the outside world, particularly to those 
of the Islamic faith. Um, this Mr. Hamad is well acquainted with the threats from radical Islam. He was once a member of a terrorist Islamic organization, along, or, along with Dr. Al-Zawiri, who later became the second-in-command of Al-Qaeda. Today, Hamad is a senior fellow and chair for the study of Islamic radicalism at the Potomac Institute of Political Studies. He is the author of, quote, Inside Jihad, Understanding the, and Confronting Radical Islam. And he's a regular Newsmax contributor. So he's basically saying that this is going to empower Islam and that the Muslims will view this construction of a mosque near Ground Zero as a triumph over America. Now, let's go further. This next article, uh, Obama's official ties to the Ground Zero Imam. With President Obama igniting political controversy, by commenting on the right of American Muslims to build an Islamic center and mosque near Ground Zero, it is worth noting the close ties of several Obama administration officials to the cleric behind the proposed project. The ties include a religion advisor to Obama, his name is Ibu Patel, who discussed with Imam Rauf, who is the guy that's on tour right now on the mosque initiative for, nine, for Ground Zero. Well, he discussed with that guy that... America was the ideal place for a renewal of Islam. Also, a scholar and charity head appointed to Obama's White House Fellowship Commission, Vartan Gregorian, who wants to bring the imam's organization into a proposed Ground Zero Museum to ensure it will represent the voices of American Muslims. So they're going to have a Ground Zero Museum, and they want the Muslims to have, a, have, a, have, a, have their say and their word in this. I mean, this is ridiculous. In February, Obama named Patel a Chicago, Chicago Muslim to his advocacy advisory, I'm sorry, advisory council on faith-based neighborhood partnerships. So Obama, again, he's got all these ties to the Muslim world. He appoints people that are Muslims. He's got all these former ties. He was brought up Muslim. And you're telling me that he's not Muslim? Come on. This whole show about being this little pseudo-Christian, you know, there's no fruit to indicate that this man was ever a Christian, ever born again. He is of his father the devil, and of the lusts of his father he will do. What, is the, what are the lusts of his father? Well, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, that's what Obama is about. He is about his father's business. Okay, let's go further. Now, you'll love this one. Now, in light of all the articles that we just went over, I think you'll really, this will warm the cockles of your heart, this one. This really will make you happy. Okay, and again, I don't just say this stuff so we can get, wrench our, uh, you know, grind our teeth and these types of things. These are things that we should be, uh, or if you feel led or convicted to, pray about. Uh, because this particularly this one, is, is uh, as far as pseudo-Christianity, this has a lot to do with it. It's entitled, well, I entitled it, Apostate Pseudo-Christian Pastors Criticize Misrepresentation of Obama's Faith. This is from, I think it's Christian Broads, Christian Broadcasting News, CBNnews.com. Anyway, several prominent Christian leaders are defending President Barack Hussein Obama in the wake of questions about his faith. A recent poll revealed that one in five Americans believe that Obama is a Muslim. Now these are people that, you know, maybe they've done a little bit of homework and they're finally figuring this out. 
Okay? But even though he's repeatedly said he's Christian, Obama's repeatedly said, I'm a Christian. Okay, well, let's, let's look at what the Bible says. Titus 1.15 says, But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and their conscience is defiled. I would say that's an accurate representation of him. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him. See, all you would have to do is look at Obama's works. How could you be a born-again Christian and be the biggest ever um, pro-abortion advocate senator on record, which he was when he was a senator, Nobody had a more radical voting agenda on abortion than he did, that he was for it. How could you do that? How can you reconcile the two? How could you be totally pro-sodomite, pro-gay rights, pro-gay marriage, and call yourself a Christian? It's contradictory to the faith that you say you are. But he says, you know, people don't... It's like the Christians are so... um, the ones that profess themselves to be Christians, it's like they're so blind that, and they have no discernment evidently. I mean, I don't want to make a blanket indictment of, of every single Christian on the planet because that's not fair either. But for the most part, American Christians are either totally apathetic or totally blinded or a combination of both. What else can I think? I mean, there should be outrage over these pastors defending Obama as a Christian, like he's produced one shred of fruit since he's been in office that would indicate he's a born-again Christian. There has been none. It has been rotten, rotten fruit. So it says in Titus 1.16, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him. Isn't that what we're talking about here? Obama keeps saying he's a Christian. Well, I know God. No, the God he knows is Allah, who is the moon God of Islam. Okay, he's nothing more than a devil or a fallen angel. That's all he is. It's not the same God of the Bible, that's for sure. They profess they know God, but in works they deny him. Being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. I think that accurately describes that devil. Matthew 7.13 says, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be that go thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Do you think that Obama is on the way, uh, is on the narrow way? Has he done one thing to indicate that he is on the narrow way of life? No. He's on the broad way. And he's taken a lot of people with him. Because there's a lot of people that worship the guy like a god, or idolize him at bare minimum. Then the next verse, beware of false prophets. And I would, I would put Obama in this. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. That's exactly a description of him. He comes to you in this, in sheep's clothing. He's reading off a teleprompter. It's the only way the guy can make a speech. And he's real, you know, charismatic and this and that. And, and a lot of people fall for his rhetoric and his garbage. He comes as in sheep's clothing, but inwardly he's a ravening wolf. Next verse. Ye shall know them by their fruits. It's real simple. Okay? It's super simple. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. Obama has brought forth the most wicked, sinful, evil fruit of any president I have ever seen by far, bar none. I only thought it was bad 
with some of these other presidents. Obama has taken it to such a different level, and he is attacking our rights in so many different ways, it just defies description. I can't even keep up on a weekly basis with all the ways they're trying to strip us of our rights, our privacy. You could go on and on and on, and that's what we're talking about on a weekly basis. So, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Oh, hold on, I'm getting ahead of myself. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Exactly. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bringeth forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire, which is where he is destined for. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. It's real simple. In response to the accusations that Obama is not a Christian, more than 70 apostate, pseudo, Laodicean, lukewarm pastors, I'm adding these other things in, more than 70 pastors and other Christian leaders signed a letter saying the personal faith of the public leaders should not be up for public debate. Oh, why? Are they they beyond? Shouldn't they be like scrutinized even more? I mean, the guy's the leader of of America or whatever. He's the president. Shouldn't he be held under a microscope and looked at even more? No, 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 no. We shouldn't even debate this. Why? Because he's president? If, If anything, that makes it more the thing that we need to debate and look at and scrutinize. Some of the lists... Some of the names on the list that were defending Obama are Bishop T.D. Jakes, or I call him T.D. Fakes, Dr. Joel Hunter, and Reverend Samuel Rodriguez. Now, I'm not really familiar with the last two, but I'm going to read you a whole bunch of these people in a, in a minute here. President, um, this is from, I guess this is a statement from them, these 70 pastors. President Obama has been unwavering in, in confession of Christ as Lord and has spoken often about the importance of his Christian faith. (laughs) Can you believe this? President Obama has been unwavering in confession of Christ as Lord. Now just think back to about 5, 10, 15 minutes ago, we were just going through all the stuff. And this is just one little cross-section of one study that I'm doing, essentially proving that the guy's a closet Muslim at bare minimum. He's got to be. He was born and raised that way. He's got no fruit, biblically at all, other than rotten fruit. And these devils have the audacity, these wolves in sheep's clothing themselves have the audacity, these hirelings that have no true love for the sheep have the audacity to say this and defend this devil. Man, I tell you, it doesn't get much worse than this. I'm sorry, this just really makes me hot because when I see the pseudo-Christian church start defending evil, the Bible says, Woe to them that call evil good and good evil. That put sweet for bitter and bitter for sweet. That put light for darkness and darkness for light. This is what the modern day church is doing. And they're, and they're proud of it. They're proud of their liberality. They think that they do with God's service and yet they're doing Satan's service. They're not led of the Lord. They're led of Satan. If the blind lead at the blind, they both fall into a ditch, right? Well, this is what we've got here. We've got blind pastors leading blind congregations into the ditch. 
It's all I can really see. I mean, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying that, that I am so holier than thou and, and I'm so much better or whatever. I'm just pointing out, obviously. I mean, this isn't something I'm making up. This is something they're coming out with and boldly proclaiming. And it's, it's incomprehensible to me. So, let me read you this quote again. This is a quote collectively from the 70 pastors. President Obama has been unwavering in his confession of Christ as Lord. Maybe the new age Christ that's coming. But not Jesus Christ, that's for sure. And has spoken often about the importance of his Christian faith. The only thing, the only reason that the Christian faith is important to him is because he's using it to manipulate people. Other people that evidently call themselves Christians but really don't have a whole lot of discernment. And then they go on to state, many of the signees on this letter have prayed and worshipped with the president. As though that's an indicator or the acid test for that he's a Christian. You know, the devil can put on a real good show. The Bible says that, that if Satan can be transformed into an angel of light, which he can be, it is no marvel that his ministers can be transformed into ministers of righteousness, although they, they appear as ministers of righteousness. Well, this is what Obama is. This is what these 70 signers are. They're appearing, trying to appear as ministers of righteousness. Then they go on quoting, saying, We believe that questioning, and especially misrepresenting, the faith of a confessing believer goes too far. Okay, but it's okay for him to do all this other stuff that we just mentioned. All of this satanic garbage that he does and keeps doing and has no conscience about not doing, about doing it, it's okay. We don't have to look at his fruit. We, we have no right to question that. We mustn't judge, right? This is what you'll, this is what you'll hear. When Jesus said, judge not lest ye be judged, it was, he was talking to a hypocrite that had a beam in his own eye and he was trying to judge the speck in his brothers. That's when you don't judge lest ye be judged. But Jesus Christ himself said, um, judge righteous judgment. And the Bible says, he who is spiritual judgeth all things. We judge all the time. I mean, all the time. We have to live our life by judging. It's the hypocritical judgment is what we don't want to get into. And you could do a whole study on that one, but this is typically what you'll, what you'll hear, that we have no right to judge. It's because the church hasn't judged that they've let all these wolves in sheep's clothing come in particularly behind the pulpit. If you just look at the qualifications, the biblical qualifications for a pastor, which I've went over this in previous studies, you know, a pastor, bishop, deacon, elder, spiritual overseer, the vast majority of pastors in America would have to step down if they were to adhere or go by those guidelines. So when you've got... And then not, not, then you get into the 501c3 issue where 99% of all the churches are 501c3 corporate institutions with the pastor as the CEO and the board of directors or the deacons. And if you don't designate them that way, the IRS will do it for you. The IRS gave them, their, the IRS and the government essentially gave them their right to exist as a 501c3 corporation. Well, anything that has two heads is a monster. 
Which one's the head? Which one gave you your right to exist? Well, the government did. But that doesn't matter, bless God, because when it comes down to it, you know, uh, we'll, we'll take a stand for Christ. But hold on, you were created as a corporate entity through the state. Where do you get Bible for that? Did they do that anywhere in the New Testament? Were, they, were there corporations back then that they were forming and big, gigantic, grandiose church buildings that they were, that they were building so that they could have their 501c3 status and that everybody could write... Well, why, do, why are they doing that? Well, a big reason so the parishioners can write it off on their taxes. They make their tithes. And so they can write it off on their taxes. Well, the Bible says that when you give, let, let, let not your right hand know what your left hand is doing when you give. Why are you going to give so that you can be seen of men? Okay? Uh, and I'm not saying that's the motivation for everybody giving to a church. I'm not saying that at all. But... A lot of times it is. I know one thing, if you give a lot to a church and they know you're giving a lot, many times you'll get preferential treatment. I was there, been there, done that. But a lot of times the reason they're giving is so they can write it off on their taxes. That was the carrot that the IRS put out to the churches back in the 40s and 50s to get them to sign up for the 501c3 corporate thing. And then you have the false Bible versions that have come in. You've got 11 Bibles that they've been reading, or 11 Bibles that have been corrupted since the 1881 Revised Version that the two occultists, Westcott and Hort, put out, who translated that from the Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus, which were corrupted Catholic manuscripts. You're so, the point I'm trying to make here is there's so much leaven that has come into the church on so many different levels, and I really say, you go back to 1881 with that revised version, which spawned all these New Age translations that we've got today, these modern translations. Like the NIV, for instance, has over 64,000 less words than the King James. I mean, they've got homosexual translators that were on the NIV. I mean, you could go on and on and on. Zonderfan. Um, anyway, I've gone into this in, in times past. I don't have time to go into it today. The point is, is there's a lot of leaven that has crept into the church and it started, I, I, honestly, I'm saying late 1800s. And now what we're seeing is the fruit of all that leaven that has crept into the church over the last hundred plus years come to fruition. We're, we're, we're seeing that that leaven now, it's really, really bearing fruit. In, in a very unbelievably horrific way, as far as I can see. Let's go further. So they say, these 70 pastors, we believe that questioning and especially misrepresenting the faith of a confessing believer goes too far. Uh, the leaders urge the media, public officials, and other faith leaders to, quote, to offer no further support or airtime to those who question Obama's faith. <laughs> you would think that these people would be on the side that I'm on right now. It's super obvious. It's not like you got to be a brain surgeon to figure this stuff out. I mean, isn't what we just reported on alone enough to get you to see the fruit of this man? Well, let's see what the Bible says about this. Jeremiah 23, 1 says, Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, against the pastors that feed my people, ye have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings, saith the Lord. 
See, I truly believe there's going to come a, de- a day and time, and I think it might be very soon, when this is going to really start to literally be fulfilled. These apostate pastors that have gotten by uh, for years and made all kind of money in, in their respective ministries and garnered all kind of praise of men, these hirelings that have no true love for the sheep, but the true shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. Some of this a hireling is doing it for the money, right? They're doing it for the hire. They're being hired out. Well, that's what they are. The Bible says, woe unto them that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pastor. Isn't that what they're doing? They're not getting real doctrine. They're not getting real warnings. They're, they're not, you know, it's unbelievable. You have scattered my flock and driven them away. I mean, the, the people that are my listeners, most of them are in little pockets all around the world. The vast majority of them have no church they can really go to. Because where, wherever they turn, it's usually some 501c3 corporate institution. Now, I'm not saying every single 501c3 church is straight from the pit out. I'm not saying that. I understand there's a lot of pastors that don't even understand the concept of what I'm talking about. I don't want to make a blanket indictment on everybody. But the fact remains is, yes, it is affecting their church no matter what. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Leaven is essentially yeast. What did Jesus warn about regarding leaven? He said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, which is their doctrine. It's bad doctrine that has crept into the church. So, let's go further. Next verse, Jeremiah 23, 3. And I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries whither I have driven them. See, actually, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one that's driven the remnant out of the apostate church. So if you're by yourself right now, I get this all the time, people emailing me, and they're like, what do I do? I, I'm trying to go to this church. I'm trying, I, what I usually do is I, I send them up to the forum that we have, and um, uh, you can, if you go to contendingfortruth.com, you'll see the Christian forum. On the right-hand side, it's one of the links you can click on. And there's a, there's a little link in there. I think it says, like, who's in my area, something like that. It's like the top link, I'm pretty sure. You can click on that, and a lot of my listeners network there regarding that subject. But understand something. God says right here, I will gather the remnant of my, of my flock out of the countries, whither I have driven them, and I will bring them again under their folds. It says, whither I have driven them. If you're not in one of these institutions... God is probably the one that drove you out of it. I'll be honest, the day that I left the 501c3 church was one of the best days of my life, looking back in retrospect. At the time, it was a little bit scary. Okay, but looking back, I see how being in one of these institutions, I was blinded to a lot of things that once I got out of it, wow, my eyes were open to. So don't think that you've been forsaken by God just because you feel like you've been driven out of a 501c3 corporate institution calling itself a church. Most likely, God's the one that did it because it says right here, it says, I have driven them. God driven them out of the church, out of these places. And then it says, I will bring them again to their folds and they shall be fruitful and increase. Next verse. And I will set up shepherds over them which shall feed them and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed, neither shall they be lacking, saith the Lord. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. Now, oh, let's 
Look at this a little bit more. I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name, whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Now, what is that in reference to? Well, that's in reference to when Jesus Christ comes back. Because he didn't do that the first time he came. They, his disciples wanted him to do it, but it wasn't his timing. Okay? But when he comes back the second time, when he comes back at the end of the tribulation, this fulfills a lot of different verses, this particular verse. And we know we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to come to earth and he's going to rule the rod of iron for a thousand years. So that in and of itself is not too far off in the future. We're talking the end of the tribulation. Tribulation has not started yet. Okay, There's a lot of different things where I get emails from people saying, I mean, they're acting like we're in the middle of the tribulation or we're into the second half of it. And I'm thinking, whoa, 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 there's like 50 different things that have not occurred prior to us being, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's got to occur prior to getting into the second half of the tribulation here. And we're, we're kind of jumping ahead here, guys. So anyway, this, although... Um, we're not in the second half of the tribulation yet. This verse being being fulfilled is really not that far off in the grand scheme of things. So let's look at the, um, I give you a link to the full letter and list of signers for this wonderful document. I'm just going to read some of these to you of these pastors that defended Obama's uh, faith here. Bishop T.D. Jakes, and again, this is all on, the, on my PDF I'm putting out this week. Bishop T.D. Jakes, um, Ron, he's pastor and CEO of Potter's House. Ronald J. Seidner, president of Evangelicals for Social Action. Reverend Sam Rodriguez, president of the National Hispanic Leadership Conference. Jim Wallace, president and CEO of Sojourners. Luis Cortez, president of Esperanza. Uh, Miroslav Volf, director of the Center for Faith and Culture, Yale Divinity School. Wow, Yale would have the skull and bonesers which is where Bush was a uh, member of that, and his dad was. Hmm. Donald Miller, author. Brian McLaren, author and pastor. These are devils, okay? Uh, Wesley, we've talked about Brian McLaren a lot in the past. Uh, Wesley Granberg Michelson, general secretary for the Reformed Church of America. Reverend Peg Chamberlain, president of the National Council of Churches. Dr. David P. Gushy, distinguished... I love how he's got distinguished. Come on. How are you going to have that in your title? I'm distinguished. I mean, come on. Distinguished university professor of Christian ethics. You know... Unbelievable. Distinguished university professor... Of Christian ethics. This guy's probably got a head so big he can't even get it through the door. Director and Center for Theology and Public Life, Mercer University. You know, I just would really wonder how God God would view these guys. They they're they're up they they it's just like the layer to see in church age of, of Revelation three, where where they think they're in need of nothing. They're rich and, and, and they're increased in goods and they think they're in need of nothing. And yet God sees them as blind, weak, wretched, naked in his sight and lukewarm. And he's going to vomit the lukewarm out of his mouth. But they think they're in need of nothing. It's unbelievable. They're already under the strong delusion that God talks about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
the, the strong delusion that God said he was going to send. He says, wherefore I will send them strong delusion that they will believe a lie, that they may all be damned who received not the love of the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. These people that I'm talking about here are having pleasure in unrighteousness. They think they're doing God's service by defending Obama. And yet they're doing nothing more than Satan's service. Dr. William Shaw, president of the National Baptist Convention, USA. These are some heavy hitters here. Dr. Richard Hamm, executive director of Christian Churches, Christian Churches Together in the USA. That's the name of the organization. Linda Valentine, executive director of the General Assembly Mission Council, Presbyterian Church. Dr. James C. Perkins, first vice president of the Progressive National Baptist Convention. Noel Castellanos, CEO of Christian Community Development Association. Reverend Jonathan Good, director of the Global Faith Engagement, Habitat for Humanity. Mr. Richard Stearns, President of World Vision. Bishop John R. Bryant, Senior Bishop, African Methodist Episcopal Church. Michael Kinnaman, General Secretary of the National Council of Churches. Thomas P. Malady, former U.S. Ambassador to Burundi, Uganda, and the Vatican, President Emeritus of Sacred Heart University. That's where I graduated from, everybody. I just didn't want to tell anybody. I'm just kidding. Sorry. Um, Anyway... George B. Teleford, Committee of the Ecumenical Interfaith Relationships, Presbyterian Churches, Reverend Stephen J. Thurston, Senior Pastor of New Covenant Missionary Baptist Church, President of the National Baptist Convention of America. A lot of Baptists on this one. And there's a lot of Baptists that would be hearing this not believing what I'm saying. But they're the ones that put their name on this document, not me. The Bible says to mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Romans 16, verse 17 and 18. We're supposed to mark them. Oh no, you're just judging. You're a terrible man. You, you, oh, I can't stand you. Well, I'm sorry. I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to mark people. As a watchman, particularly... You know, I know there's a lot of people that despise me or whatever. I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry. I can't. You, you, you know what I've learned about being in this type of ministry? You can't make everybody happy. You're always going to make people mad, particularly with this type of stuff. Particularly if you run across like a Seventh-day Adventist or a Catholic or a Hebrew Roots person or somebody like that. I mean, you know, they're going to throw everything they got at you. You've got to learn to develop a really thick skin, if, particularly if you're in this type of ministry. And, you know, to a certain extent, I think we're all called to be watchmen, particularly in today's day and age, because there's very few people that are really doing this. People need to be warned. Uh, the Bible says that we're supposed to reprove the unfruitful works of darkness and have no fellowship with them. And then it says to make them manifest. To make something manifest, to me, would, means to shed light on it, which is what we're doing. We're supposed to mark them. Um, Paul said that Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. He marked Alexander the coppersmith. Now, these men are doing much evil. They're doing way worse than Alexander the coppersmith, as far as I'm concerned, because they're literally on a national stage promoting a devil. Let's go further. Daniel Vestal, Executive Coordinator, Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. Reverend Dr. Glenn C. Missick, 
Director of African Americans, Black Ministries, Reformed Church in America, and Reverend Stephen J. Thurston, Senior Pastor, New Covenant Missionary Baptist Church, President of the National Baptist Convention of America International. Some pretty heavy hitters. Now, that was just a partial list. I give you the link to the whole list there. I didn't want to take up any more time. But, like I said, um, in light of all the information we've previously covered with Obama, um, that probably will get you pretty fired up. Now, next article. And this is an interesting angle in the wake of the decision to allow a mosque near Ground Zero in New York. In Spain, Sevilla, it's a town in Spain, Sevilla, some local people found a way to stop the construction of another mosque in their town. They buried a pig on the site making sure this would be known by the local press. Islamic law forbids erecting a mosque on pig-soiled ground. Hmm. The Muslims had to cancel the project. This land was actually sold to them by government officials. There were no protests needed by the local people, and it worked. Interesting. The Israelis have been using this strategy since 2004. What they do is they put containers of pork fat in all their buses and made sure everybody knew about it. If a suicide bomber decides to explode himself on the bus, he's taking the chance that some of the pig fat will end up on his body and therefore he will not go to paradise. Israeli buses have been safe from attacks since then. Since then. <laughs> no more attacks. Do you, I mean, I think it's brilliant. I mean, you're talking about stopping terrorists from killing all these innocent people. And it's as simple as something like that. But that's how wrapped up in demonic bondage that the Muslims are. Here's another thing. This is from a guy. He wrote in. He made a comment about this. He says, I read where Christians in Baghdad or some other Islamic city where suicide bombers blow people up have been taking bacon on board of buses, and rubbing the fatty meat on the seats, the handbars, and the windowsills. The Muslim bombers won't bomb these buses anymore because they're too afraid that their body parts will fall on something, quote, tainted by pig. And then they won't go to heaven. Rather than pig's blood, all one would have to get is bacon or pork chops or anything that would, and throw it on the site. How about a giant water cannon that fires water mixed with pig blood to guard the entrances to the military bases to keep suicide bombers away. I mean, these guys come in, these suicide bombers, they drive these trucks or whatever loaded with explosives, they kill a ton of people. Think how easy it'd be to prevent all that, if you think about it. Here's another thing. In the years preceding World War I, General Pershing was the commander of the American forces in the Philippines. The small Muslim community on the island nation began to wreak havoc against the Filipino government and the American forces. The American troops captured a large number of these terrorists. During the interrogation by the military court, the fanatics were heard to be repeatedly shouting, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, Jihad. The, the, the Philippines are the lands of Islam. In response, Pershing, General Pershing, ordered the Muslims executed one by one in the presence of the whole group. Muslims will not eat pork, believing that no one can enter into paradise if there is even the smallest amount of swine flesh in their bodies. Knowing this, the general first ordered the firing squad to shoot large hogs. After they skinned the swine, the executioners rolled their bullets in pork fat and passed them through the barrels of their rifles, which, while the condemned watched them do this, 
As each condemned terrorist was executed, his corpse was then wrapped in the hog skin and buried on the spot. The entrails of the swine were dumped over the corpse before the grave was covered. Three of the convicted Muslim terrorists were then released to take the news back to their Islamic communities. That ended the Islamic Jihad in the Philippines. It was over. Now, that's from a... Um, what I just read you is actually a reference from a from a, uh, a book, Vendel Jones Research Institutes, I believe page 20. Interesting. Hmm. I gave you the pictures where they actually buried this pig on the, on the mosque site. So we were we were just looking at the pictures here the, of this poor pig they buried on the site. This was in Sevilla, Spain, and uh, it stopped the building of the mosque. You know, I mean, when you have a mosque put in somewhere, it's a stronghold of Satan. Is all it is if you think about it. I mean, this is a wicked, wicked, uh, satanic religion, and uh, you know. They've just come up with this. But, again, this isn't stuff you're going to see on mainstream news. Next article. Now, I, I put this next article in there just for the sheer audacity of these Muslims and how audacious they're actually getting, even on American soil. It's entitled, Texas Man Stages Pig Races to Protest Islamic Neighbors Plan to Build Mosque. This was from Katie News in Texas, um, says, when an Islamic group moved in next door and told Craig Baker the pigs on his family's 200-year-old Texas farm had to go, he and his swine decided to fight back. In protest of being asked to move, Davis began staging elaborate pig races on Friday afternoons, one of Islamic world's most holy days. I actually watched the news clip on, on TV. It was pretty funny. Craig's neighbors and the Katie Islamic Association have plans to build a mosque community on the 11 acres they purchase alongside his farm. Baker, who's 46, year old, uh, 46 years old and a stop short, uh, stone shop owner whose family has owned the farm for two centuries. They've been there for 200 years. He says the association knew about the pigs before they brought, bought the property. And it's not fair for them to ask him to get rid of his animals. I mean, these, these Muslims move in, knowing full well this guy's had a farm for 200 years and has a pig farm, and they purposely move in and tell him to get rid of his animals? Who do they think they are? Unbelievable. The arrogance in the end. He goes on to say, I'm just defending my rights and my property, Baker said. They are totally disrespecting me and my family. Initially... Baker and Camille, or Camel, his name's Camel, Fotu, the president of the 500-member Islamic Association, were on good terms. But things turned sour at a town meeting, where Baker says Fotu insulted him by asking him to move. This guy, this Islamic guy, went before a town meeting and said he needs to move when he was there first. In fact, his family's been there for 200 years. The guy goes on to say, that was the last straw for me. Calling me a liar, especially in front of three or 400 people at the meeting. Baker said, Mr. Fortu said it would be a good idea if I considered packing up my stuff and moving out further to the country. I mean, where does it end? If you don't stand up to these people, where does it end? It never will end. Just ask, just ask the Israelis. 
They keep giving them more land. It's never enough. All, every time they give them more land, all they do is get those rockets, rockets just a little bit closer so they can fire them, fire them into uh, civilian centers. Over 10,000 rockets in the last like five years have been fired into Israel. But that's okay. They, they, they have the right to do that. But anytime Israel retaliates, oh no, they're the bane of Satan. Now I understand Israel and, and, and the leadership and all that. I understand the whole concept of Zionism and that they're probably at the head of the Illuminati through the families like the Rothschilds and these Rockefellers and these types of people. I'm not debating that. I'm saying let's have biblical balance when dealing with the nation of Israel. And I've done several teachings on that. And I'm not going to go into that any further tonight. I just don't have time. Let's go further. This article is, is entitled, The Return of the Mahdi is Nigh. This is from a guy named Robert Morley. Now, I don't believe he's a Christian, but it's from thetrumpet.com. Iran may be days away from going nuclear. Now, I got a lot of reports on this, and people asked me if I was going to talk about this. But I wanted to wait to see what happened before I talked about it. Now I can talk about it, because we're past this deadline that we'll be describing here. Iran may be days away from going nuclear. Now, this is a little bit dated because this is August 24th, and we're like five days ahead of it. Um, Iran may be days away from going nuclear, in the full sense of the word. On Saturday, Iran began commissioning its first nuclear power plant. Barring a full-scale invasion, it may now be impossible to stop Iran from building nuclear weapons, if it hasn't already. With, with Russian-supplied uranium in its reactors, any aerial bombing risks spreading nuclear fallout beyond the Persian Gulf region. Who would take such a risk? Israel might have previously, but, the Amer- but American handcuffing purposely postponed military options until the risk of fallout made them, made them possibly non-options. In other words, Israel had this deadline that they had to meet, uh, I think it was like last Saturday, where they could go, and if they went in prior to them um, fueling this nuclear reactor with uranium, they could have stopped it but they waited, evidently America, uh, America did something to handcuff Israel. And because they've waited, if they go in there and bomb it now, they're going to spread nuclear fallout and waste everywhere over the whole region. So now it's not really much of an option. That's, that's what we're describing here. America does not have the will to stop Iran either. It has proven great at talking, at negotiating, at pleading, and at being told what it can do with its empty rhetoric. Now this is his opinion, okay? And then he goes on to say, Iran just doesn't care. On Friday, the day before it began loading its radioactive uranium rods, Iranian Defense Minister Brigadier General Fahadi announced that the launch of a special new upgraded surface-to-surface air missile, which has on its side written a very specific and literal message to President Obama, the world, and anyone that would oppose Iran. The surface-to-surface missile that was debuted on the day before it began loading these fuel rods, you know what the missile says on the side of it? Yamadi. What does Yamadi mean? Yamadi is also known as the 12th Imam. It is the most important Shiite personages after Muhammad. The belief of the return of the Mahdi, or the 12th Imam, is a defining doctrine within the most populous group of Shiite Muslims known as the Twelvers, to which Iranian President Ahmadinejad is a devout adherent. Why is this important? Twelvers believe that the twelfth imam will emerge from hiding during a time of world chaos in order to bring order and exalt Shiite believers to their rightful place. 
Ahmadinejad belongs to this sect, which believes it is their job to pave the way for the Mahdi's return. And this president claims that Ya Mahdi has communicated with him personally and that it is in that it is within his ability to hasten the Mahdi's return. So Ahmadinejad actually believes that the twelfth Imam or this Ya Mahdi or Imam Mahdi is how I've referred to him as well has actually communicated to him. It is prophesied in their unholy writings that in order for Imam Mahdi to come about, much bloodshed must happen. Knowing this, Ahmadinejad has actually made statements where he has said, I would be willing to sacrifice my whole country, every man, woman, and child, in order to bring about the Mahdi. That's how nuts that guy is. Now, who does Maitreya claim to be? Maitreya claims to be the total package. The fifth Buddha, Imam Mahdi, Imam Mahdi to the Muslims, the fifth Buddha to the Buddhists, Krishna to the Hindus, Christ to the Christians, and the Messiah to the Jews. He claims to be everything wrapped up in one package. So it's interesting. And it's kind of funny because you know who they say is coming back with the Mahdi? Imam Mahdi? You know who, who the Muslim holy books say he's coming back with? Going to be a sidekick? Jesus Christ. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Huh. Maitreya claims to be, be Imam Mahdi. He's with these ascended masters. And there's another ascended master in there that says he's Jesus. Calls himself a Sanand Emmanuel or Master Jesus. And supposedly he's subordinate to Maitreya. And he's, he's going to be coming back with Maitreya. When they make their big debut. That's what they say in their writing. I'm not making this stuff up. And isn't that kind of funny? That goes exactly perfect with their prophecies. That have been written hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Now this is that same looking Jesus. That the Catholic Church presents us with. The long haired hippie freak version. Looking at Jesus. Real real super handsome. That the Catholic Church gave us. That has no representation of what Jesus Christ truly looked like. So I hate to say this to you. But if you got one of those. Jesus is hanging in your house. It's like you've got an ascended master. Picture of an ascended master hanging in your house. You better be careful. I'm sorry. You better be careful. If I was you, I'd get it out of my house. You might be bringing curses on yourself that you're not even aware of. I've done many studies on that. Where we've proven that. So isn't it funny how that all kind of ties together? Huh. Well, we'll see what happens. I want to at least give you a heads up of what might be coming down the road. I can't be dogmatic saying this is exactly how it's going to go down. But I'm telling you the way that I'm looking at things, there's a high probability it might be the exact way it goes down. So anyway, the televised viewing of the missile launch, which was accompanied by shouts of Allah Akbar, which we just heard earlier about the General Pershing and the other ones, what does Allah Akbar mean? It means our God is greatest. What are they saying? They're saying Allah is greatest. They're saying that Allah, the moon God, is the greatest. Allah, the moon God, that Muhammad chose as the greatest God, who was there at the head and started their religion, this is the same guy that betrothed a six-year-old girl and bedded her when she was nine. We just gave you the quotes from that from last week. Well documented. This is the same guy that started Islam. 
Yeah, pedophile. Hey, I'm just, you know, that's the way it goes. Okay, so just repeating this last statement, the televised viewing of the missile launch, which was accompanied by shouts of Allah Akbar, meaning our God, Allah, is the greatest, in the t- were timed to coincide with the arrival of nuclear fuel to the Busher reactor. Sent, and this also sent an unmistakable message. And if the world didn't get it, Iran sent another memo on Sunday, the day after the nuclear nuclear reactor got its fuel. On Sunday, Ahmadinejad announced the completion of Iran's very first unmanned aerial vehicle, or UAV, capable of delivering weapon payloads. Named it, they named it Karar. Ahmadinejad said the new weapon would be an ambassador of death for Iran's enemies. Isn't that special? In the past, American officials have scoffed at Iran's UAV technology, noting the past models were small drones, only capable of monitoring. This new model has a range of 1,000 kilometers and can carry two bombs weighing 250 pounds each. Analysts say Iran's rapid advances are due to Russian technology. In the same Sunday victory speech, Ahmadinejad also announced that Iran would begin mass production of the Blade Runner 51, a boat often referred to as the world's fastest. Ahmadinejad christened the more heavily armed Iranian version of Blade Runner as Zulfagar. Zulfagar was the name of the Shiite Imam Ali's famous sword. Imam Ali was the first Imam, also known as Allah's Lion, for his aggressive war against unbelievers. I mean, they're really, really, really uh, being pretty flagrantly obvious about what they're gearing up for here. I've said this for a long, long time. I've done all kind of studies going back five years ago, I believe at this point, almost five years ago, on World War III, and most likely the linchpin is going to be some type of conflict between Israel and Iran. And it seems to be still the case, just as it was back then when we first started talking about this. So earlier in June, Iran announced that it would no longer accept UN-approved cargo inspections on Iran-bound ships. From now on, Iran would use its own burgeoning navy to retaliate by searching foreign vessels of offending nations. So with Iran growing stronger and more radicalized, who's going to stop it from speeding the return of Yamadi? Well, remember, the Lord Jesus Christ is in control. But this is from a secular standpoint we're talking here. Uh, <clears throat> it may be the United States, it said it may not be the United States, in other words, the one to stop this. Remember, the famous 2007 National Intelligence Report released by the U.S. government claiming that Iran actually gave up its nuclear weapons program back in 2003. The report also claimed that Iran was a rational actor, not motivated by religion, and that it could be coerced into giving up its civilian nuclear program by conventional means, such as economic sanctions and political pressure. Most Americans prefer to live in a fantasy world like the one portrayed in this report. A fantasy world is one in which someone tells you he's going to do everything he can to wipe you off the face of the map, but you don't believe them. A fantasy world is one in which a country labels you as as the great Satan, which is what they've labeled America, but at the same time they want to form a partnership with you. A fantasy world is one in which a country with the world's third largest oil and natural gas resources builds a nuclear power station because it needs more electricity. 
Unfortunately, when you're dealing with nuclear weapons, living in a fantasy world can lead to a nightmare. Iran has sent a clear message to the world. We're going nuclear and there's nothing you can do about it. And even if you try, we will actually welcome that because you are going to do us a favor. Long live the 12th Imam and hasten his return. I'm telling you, this has been... I've been saying this for a long time. They, Ahmadinejad wants this. He doesn't care if every man, woman, child is killed in Iran. As long as the imam comes. And he believes he's going to be the instrument to make that happen. So, some interesting stuff there. Let's go, uh, let's end part one here. We'll go to part two next. God bless you.